0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Helpline in Focus on Free Play Love. How are you all going? Uh, As long as it's needed, we're going to be talking to experts about ways that we can all cope in lockdown. Um, Now, I'm Shavon Hunt. I have two children aged seven and nine, so I'm currently in lockdown in Sydney and have been rather excited about tonight's helpline in focus, and that's because we've got Gabby Stroud, who's a primary school teacher, author, and mother and we're talking about remote learning which is my everyday experience Uh, if you'd like to make a comment ask a question please join in by popping your comments below this video gabby how are you
1: i'm so well but ever anxious when i do these events with my children in the other room (laughs) So let's all just be ready for anything, okay? We're all parents here. Anything could happen. That's okay. My last words to them were, I'm about to start the podcast now If you go to the toilet, don't flush. because.
0: Well, (laughs) that's good. I'm in the shed. I've just noticed that my background's kind of gone a bit crazy, but that's because we're setting up in the shed. So you may hear dogs barking. Hopefully my husband will be able to keep the kids in bed. That's his job for the moment. Um, Listen, I was really keen to talk to you about this because Um, the book before your latest book, so your latest book is fiction, but the book before that was Dear Parents. And we spoke about that book when it first came out. And it was all about trying to bridge this gap between parents and teachers that seems to exist. And I'm just wondering, if I might be stating the obvious, do you think that remote learning has widened that gap between understanding, like parents understanding what teachers want from them and then teachers getting all this different feedback from parents. Do you think that that has kind of widened that communication gap, this this lockdown?
1: I think what's actually happened is that parents now have a first-hand experience of what it is to to be a teacher, not that parents are expected to be a teacher, but to, to sort of guide their child's learning at this time. And they're suddenly realising, man, there's a lot of content to get through and, wow, sometimes my kid doesn't understand this. And and then also the politics of things, like we've got to watch the news each night and see when when we're going back to school or if we're going back to school or how long this will last and then, oh, gee, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be communicated to the teacher about what, you know, there's a lot of feedback to give back. And so I think parents are starting to experience what teachers experience every single day. And one of the things I found really interesting is that broadly as a community, when lockdowns first started, we all became very concerned about those children that may not have access to internet or um, have devices at home. And suddenly everyone was concerned about equity um, for all our, you know, beautiful Australian children. And this is something teachers have worried about all the time. So I'm not sure that a gap has been widened or even created. I think a very big, important conversation has has begun. Um, And it's probably begun in a bit of a fraught, tense kind of way because we're under these really tense conditions. But I think it's a conversation that's been a long time coming. And unfortunately, it took a pandemic to bring it out
0: yeah well let's let's get started um I and I I always um preface these kind of special helplines saying I feel like I'm doing them just for me so (laughs) I do encourage other people to jump in and ask questions so most parents um that I'm talking to are finding remote learning very hard um I am happy to hear from anyone out there who is loving it (laughs) because I haven't met anyone yet um And I'm just wondering whether you have any tips as a teacher on how it can be made easier.
1: Mm. Okay. So I did a beautiful call out to all my teacher followers on social media and one rogue comment got through from a mate of mine who's an illustrator and not a teacher. And I said, you know, tips on learning from home. And he said, tell parents, stock the liquor cabinet. (laughs) I did say that one. Inappropriate, Dub Leffler. Uh, (laughs) I'm actually going to give some tips that um, I, I feel parents might be somewhat frustrated with me by the end of it because the tips I want to give are about your thinking and how you're going about this. So tip number one is you've just got to be gentle on yourself. You're a parent. You're not a classroom teacher. You're a teacher of a different kind you're your child's um, first and lifelong uh, teacher but you're not their academic teacher so just be gentle on yourself just really take it down a notch the next thing is that I really think the most important thing we're teaching our children right now is how we cope in a crisis this is a massive life lesson and it's actually best that they learn that from their parents not not from their classroom teacher Our little ones are like sponges. They're watching us and looking at us, even teenagers, all the time taking from you the temperature. They're getting a read on the room, a read on how they should feel about these things based on how you are responding. So if you're saying, this is really hard, this is really scary, this is, you know, I'm panicking, uh, we don't know what's happening, then your child's going to pick up on that. Whereas if you go... You know, this pandemic and all these lockdowns, it's a challenge, but we can solve these problems and uh, we can um, even have some fun along the way and we're going to come out of this stronger and better. It's just a simple mind shift and a language shift, but it can be so powerful for our children. So I'd really urge parents at this time, especially when you're freaking out about some online learning task with the kids and it's all doing your head in and you're trying to get your own work done just think what you're really teaching them you know is how you cope with stress you know so these are these are opportunities to really give some really practical life lessons on how we manage difficult things another thing was I also thought I could list off 10 things that theoretically would be great tips and might work but the trouble with that is it may not work for your child or your family because the thing that we know in education is everything works somewhere, but nothing works everywhere. So I could, you know, give you tips, and I'm sure um, parents have read them. Set up routines. Have a working space for your child. Make sure they get in the garden. Make sure they do some cooking. We can do cooking. <laughs> when we're doing maths. Oh my gosh! When I'm in lockdown, I don't want to cook with my kids and do maths. <laughs> it's you know so that doesn't work for me and my family that just creates a mess and havoc and chaos but it might work for some families so you've got to look through what's out there and pick what works for you and what works for your child and your family um the other thing too is instead of looking for what works ask yourself what matters what matters right now to my family and for all of our needs so I'm really mindful that parents are trying to get their own work done. They might have some big project that they need to get done. It's going to take minimum two hours. You know what, if that's what matters and what's important right now, pop a video or DVD on and get the Netflix going, whatever, put the kids away for two hours so you can get your work done and then come back to that because that's what matters in that moment. If it's a beautiful day outside, what matters for your family might be get out, play in the backyard. Just keep coming back to what matters rather than looking for what works. Prioritise what matters to all of us right now. Um, Oh, I made so many notes about this. I'm so excited to be talking to parents about this. The other thing I really wanted to say too, and this message doesn't just come from me, it comes from like imagine thousands of teachers standing behind me the message that comes through is teachers get it. And I know for parents it probably seems like teachers don't get it because teachers are just sending through all this work and they're uploading all this stuff and they're demanding all this communication and can you get back to me and can you log in on this and upload this <laughs> and connect with that. And parents are probably just thinking, oh, my gosh, you teachers, what you know, who do you think we are? But teachers genuinely get it. And I actually want to share a little secret with all the parents out there and that is that teachers are under an incredible amount of pressure to perform well during this lockdown and during this pandemic. Teachers at the best of times are held to very high account and They're feeling a lot of pressure because there's a lot of expectation on them that nothing will be lost during this pandemic, and that they will have covered all the learning that needed to be covered, and that there will be no gaps. And they are actually teaching from a very overburdened, very busy, very crowded curriculum. And it is a struggle to get through that curriculum during normal times. And so for you as parents, you're seeing that now coming through in, in these uh, online learning platforms. You're actually seeing our very overcrowded curriculum and you're seeing the level of accountability um, and almost you're almost visually seeing the pressure that teachers are under to churn through the work. Now, teachers really want parents to know that it's probably impossible to get through all the work But the thing is, teachers can't say that to you. They've got to set the bar up here and hope you'll all strive to meet it. But they know, they get it, they understand. Many, many teachers are trying to support their own kids at home while they're teaching your child. So just communicate with your child's teacher and let them know and just say, my my kid needed a mental health day today or all we had was two hours. That's all we could get out of him, her today. then we're at Meltdown City or we just needed to play with Lego or it was finally some great weather so we went outdoors. Just report back and let the teacher know that that something's going on for you guys, that something's happening at your house and just communicate that so that teachers know where you're at. They really, really, really do get it and they're, they're almost apologetic in their um, feelings around what they're delivering for students at the moment. They know it's a lot. I'll bring in a
0: question here from Facebook. Amelia has said, Hi, Gabby, how can I help my six year old boy in year one to focus more and be less distracted? Thank you. And uh, (laughs) thanks, Amelia. You've asked a question for me there as well. My son is seven and in year one. So I understand completely. (laughs)
1: Yes. Yes. And that's a question that we would be asking, you know, like, you know, in the classroom. That's what the year one teacher's asking as well. So um, uh, little boys, particularly at that age, a bit of a testosterone surge. So I would be suggesting that we have um, some physical activity before we um, do any sit-down learning. Um, I find that you get that restless energy out. And then you're far more likely to have a student who's ready to sit and um, focus on a task more. I'd be looking at breaking tasks up into little chunks. And then I'd also be thinking about what are the things that motivate that child Not so much in terms of do this, get a sticker or do this, get a biscuit or whatever, Um, but, you know, do this and then you can do that for a little while, you know. So do this, then you can play with your Lego or do this and then you can choose what activity we do next. So look for little ways to keep drawing them along. If focus is a problem, you need to chunk it down, make it less, uh, less amount of time, sometimes a timer or something like that so they can see, oh, okay, I've got to get this much, you know, um, I've got to work until the timer gets to this time or whatever. But then sometimes if they have trouble focusing, then the timer becomes the distraction <laughs> as well. But also yeah. to a lack of focus, you know, can also indicate I'm a bit stressed about something, I'm a bit worried about something. So it can be worth going in and sort of going, what what's the problem here? Like, do you understand what you've got to do? Things like that. So I'd also be checking out that they know what to do. Mm. Um. Talking about children at that age,
0: uh, it makes me think again, sorry, did I mention that you have to jump in and ask your questions or I'll ask them all for me? But, look, I know I'm not the only parent dealing, trying to manage children in different grades. Mm -hmm. So my daughter's in year four and my son's in year one. Now he, uh, as with probably Amelia, uh, started school with the first lockdown Mm. happening across the board. And I have noticed that, well, he can't read. And I know that's not unusual for a year one boy or girl Mm. not to be able to read. But it does mean that he needs way more support. He can't learn independently. So I do need to be with him through the whole thing. Um, And I'm lucky that my daughter's more independent. But then I've just naturally... Moved more across to helping him because obviously they're learning at the same time, mm. and I'm just wondering what you would, how you would suggest you manage that. Like, should we be focusing on our younger kids that have less of a foundation, less literacy, mm. less numeracy, so they can't really mm. learn on their own, or, yeah. or how should we manage it when we've got children in different grades?
1: Mm. So you absolutely need to m- take that attention to the child that needs it, and you've always got to meet the kid at their point of need, where they're at. So yeah. if a child is in year four and has some literacy skills behind them and understand the ta- understands the task, then, of course, they can go on and do the task. And then the, the one who has some, you know, learning still to do with their literacy, they are going to need that support. So physically you're going to need to be with them and, and get them started and get them um, sorted out. Um, it depends how well they go work together as siblings, but sometimes you can have a little bit of co-teaching. You know, that's a really big thing that we miss when we're in lockdown teaching is that collaborative experience, you know, and that peer learning that's so valuable and enriching in the classroom. So if there's a chance for that to happen, I'm mindful. I have two daughters who, you know, it starts off well and then suddenly I'm out there mediating a fight and I think I should have just done this myself. So I (laughs) understand the ramifications of that, but if you can do a little bit of that, that can help. But the other thing that I would say too is make sure that the child who you've left to work independently, you need to still check in. Do they know what the expectation is? Do they know what the task is? Have they got some skills to go forward? Do they know that you're available to check in with them or to guide them if they need a little bit of help and the other thing is to, I'd be checking in with them at another time you know like maybe at that lovely tuck in at bed time and sort of say I'm so proud of you I'm really noticing that you know while little one needs some help and support you're being so independent and it's so helpful at this time and really acknowledging um, that they are stepping up and being an independent learner and the other thing I'd be saying to them there is to let them have a little reflect what did you learn today what did you work on you know how did you go let me know so that You know, you don't want to set up sibling rivalry where they're sort of thinking, oh, you know, mum gave all her attention to you today, you know, so look for those little pockets of time. And it may not happen during the school day, however that looks at your at your home. It could be at bedtime or, you know, over breakfast or during the evening meal or something like that. You know, that special time that you might just connect with that child one on one.
0: I'm based in New South Wales and my kids go to a public school. Um, but there's such a huge difference across the way schools are doing remote learning, even within Sydney, let alone across the country. Do you think that this is going to lead to a big sort of education educational divide? We spoke about that digital divide that teachers were already worried about. Um, between those that can't access the internet but even you know the difference in a household where both parents are working or one parent's a stay-at-home parent and so can therefore concentrate on the kids Um, or parents who didn't finish school or don't feel confident teaching their kids there's just such a huge range of experiences. Um, Mm -hmm. I I wonder what's going to happen when the kids go back to school.
1: Yeah I think that Uh, that educational divide that you're talking about, that has always existed. And even with um, the testing of NAPLAN that we insist on repeatedly doing, and I have some issues with that, but (laughs) I understand um, the need to measure learning, but NAPLAN repeatedly shows that we have a socioeconomic gap. That's essentially all it shows repeatedly again and again. And what... I suspect we'll see as a result of COVID is, yeah, we have a socioeconomic gap in Australia and those at the lower end of our socioeconomic stratosphere uh, have suffered for it. It's not, I don't actually think COVID or remote learning or um, lockdowns are actually going to create new divides it will just highlight the divide that already exists i suspect that naturally we are going to see you know these little ones that that have sort of commenced schooling during a lockdown you know these ones that are now in kindy and the ones in year 1 who have that's all they've ever known you know that that's what school is for them potential lockdown we we do a bit at home we do a bit at school you know it's crazy. <laughs> All this talk about going to big school, it's been a wild ride. (laughs) I think um, as we see them progress, we are probably going to see that they um, began a a little lower than standard and sort of graduated those years a little lower than standard. But what I think we'll see once um, this pandemic resolves, and it will eventually, it won't last forever, you know, there will be a tipping point where we do return to normal-ish and when we do that, what we'll see is that beautiful thing that the human brain does and that children do, uh, we'll just learn. We'll, we'll learn consistently and steadily. Um, and we have to remember, too, we're not the first generation. These ones aren't the first generation to experience this. There's been, you know, generations before us that lived through world wars and, you know, other... You know, really difficult circumstances, and you know they eventually return to school and they learn. We we're humans; we learn in spite of um, what's going on around us, often not because of it. So, it's. Um, I think it will be interesting to see, but. I do not feel panicked about these young ones as they come through uh, in terms of their learning in that regard because I do believe that their capacity to recover from this disruption is um, it's a guarantee that they will recover from it and they'll come, they'll come through strong. You know, it's an interesting thing to think about this because at the end of kindergarten there's a desired um, reading level that you'd like every kindergarten child to have met And every year as a kindergarten teacher, some of my children would make that level and some of them wouldn't. And that's just how the cookie crumbles, you know, because some kids come to school more school ready and some kids have more books at home and some kids um, really took to it and some kids were a little bit young and some kids got read to at home and some kids didn't and varying circumstances. But no matter what, they'd come to year one at the start of the next year and they will have lost at least two, sometimes four levels because summer break, holidays, we all took some time off and we weren't reading as much. And then within weeks they recover that and they gain and they grow again. So, you know, learning sort of does this and goes back and this. It's this, it's this crazy, beautiful, magical thing and we get a bit caught up when we try to measure it because it's doing this. Yeah, oh, that's
0: so encouraging. Mm. We have some more questions from Facebook. Uh, Rebecca says, can you talk about how much feedback parents give on the work that has been completed and if parents need to correct everything which is a good point you know like I see my daughter might you know go off independently and do all her comprehension and then I'll look and it's full of spelling errors and uh, she's a bit of a perfectionist so she wants everything to be right Mm
1: -hmm. but at the
0: same time I wonder you know as much as Rebecca probably is um, do teachers want us to correct their work or is this at, you know, as it should be in the in the classroom or as it would be in the classroom where you're not there to correct their work.
1: Yeah. Look, teachers very much still see themselves in that role. Like they still want to be looking at your child's work. They still want to see their students' work. They want to see where they made errors um, because that's where learning happens. So it's, it's that beautiful moment of feedback where the teacher can point out and say, hang on you've missed it there let me, let me explain it again and let's have another go again and if parents are sort of intervening and um, correcting too much then um, the teacher's not going to know they're going to assume oh that child just flew through that and they're not going to know that there was a little bit of um, discord there or a little bit of you know cognitive overload or you know whatever they're, they're going to be kept in the dark, and then they're going to build onto that concept and go again, and then that child might struggle and be like, oh, now I need your help again, mum. So um, it would be great if parents, you know, were to just guide that but also to say, well, check in with your teacher, you know, check in with your teacher about that and see what they say. Um, I know too (laughs) when I try to give my children feedback (laughs) well, <laughs> they don't love it. They don't love it coming from me. And yet their teacher can say the exact same thing and they hang on their teacher's every word. So it's a very different relationship. And it's very important that you don't damage your relationship with your child at this time by fighting over schoolwork or arguing over, you know, you've done that wrong. Or when I was at school, we did it like this. <laughs> Someone said, uh, one of the teachers, when I did a call out and said I was going to be speaking here this evening, I said, what advice would you give? And one teacher said, learning is important, but relationships are important her. And <laughs> I think that, that was terrific because this relationship you have with your child is more important than the learning that they've got to get through. So I would prioritise your relationship with your child over um, giving feedback and getting the work submitted correctly and, and things like that. Um, teachers... Um, need to hear from you and to know where their child where your child is at but also to just walk a fine line there too because teachers are getting a lot of communication coming in and they want it and they need to hear it but I suppose just sort of think about ways um of communicating effectively, maybe just sort of lumping all the information together so that the teacher can read through how your child went rather than on every individual task. Or, I mean, each school has its own way of doing it, so just follow their procedures. That's really helpful.
0: Yeah. Um, sorry, on Facebook says, my son, seven years old, always wants my help to do his work. He doesn't want to try to do it by himself. He always says, I can't do it before he tries. How do I make him more independent? Well, he's seven, probably you can't. <laughs> Sorry, that was just me, a mum of a seven-year-old.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I know that child, I've taught that child, and I often have a joke with that little child and I say, my goodness, do you need me to stand here with pom-poms and cheer you along? Go, Michael, you can do it. <laughs> Go, Michael, and turn it into a little joke. Um Yes, encouraging that one that says I can't do it. So I would be um, suggesting to that little one, first of all, I'd be chunking it down and making sure that it is absolutely something they can do. So we want to set them up for success. We're going to trick them into this one. So I'd be getting something that we absolutely know that they can do. So I'd be saying maybe... Adding two digit uh, single digit numbers up to 10, so four and three and six and two, those kind of really simple ones. Okay, so a seven year old's going to be able to do that, it's going to look familiar, they'll have seen it before. And I'd have about three of them listed there, and I would be saying, We're going to do this today. And the moment they start to say, I can't do that, yeah, we can, I've seen you do these ones before, we know this one, and then get them started model how you're going to do it so we're going to get the big number put it in our head we're going to count on we're going to write the number down look you've done one already that's amazing i'm going to leave you now and you're going to do these two okay so it's like hit and run teaching right you tap you 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 hit them here's (laughs) then you run you get out of there so you've set them up for success then you bugger off out of there go and do something just for a short while and then come back and then you praise all progress, all the progress that they've made. So they've started writing the first answer or they've got their fingers, oh my goodness, look at you go. Heaps and heaps and heaps of praise. Because what they're yet to associate there is that effort equals success, you know, and that effort feels good, that it feels good to try something. So they feel that success is someone does it for me. Like they just think success is task completion. They've got to realise that effort feels like success as well. So you've got to um, set them up so that they can have that experience, even if it's in a small way. And I know that sounds like a really funny example that I just did, but I would be doing something like that. Like I wouldn't go and grab something um, off the online learning platform that the school sent, sent. I would literally make a little sheet, you know, on a scrap of paper and write the numbers down so that they can go, oh, oh, I can do this and then do that again. And then do it again with, say, some writing or something and then bring in something from their online learning platform and say, oh, I think you can have a go at this. That child's wanting lots and lots and lots of praise and security around taking risks, okay? So they're just feeling a little bit like, oh, I can't do it. And it's no reflection on you as a parent. Um, That's just how little ones are sometimes. They're like, oh, learning is a bit scary and what if I get it wrong? Um, So set them up for success on some things that they're going to get right and that they can do.
0: Yeah, and I've got to say um, my son definitely responds to that praise, you know, and that actually that attention where you say wow that was really great and he's like oh you can
1: just see him shine and it almost has to be over the top like one of the reasons I loved teaching was because it spoke to my inner actress that never got (laughs) television right they love that you know like that's kids love hearing that praise and that really you know you've got to let it come right like you know your whole face should be lit up with the whole thing like you can't overdo this it's got to be sincere but really show them like that is great mate I'm really really pleased with what you've done I'm so proud of you and really try to notice what they've done like not not just a general kind of you did it but you did that on your own like well done and I noticed you used your fingers and you used the strategy. That is great. Really pick and name what they're doing and lay it on thick.
0: Lay it right on thick.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: This question is from Radhika on Facebook. She says, um, as a teacher, can you give some tips to fellow teachers on how to balance work life and answer parents' emails in school hours? Oh, my God, I'm feeling (laughs) for you already. And give feedback in school hours. How do we manage parents' expectations who expect us to be on all the time? Mm. Oh, that's tough, isn't
1: it? It is tough. And I just do want to do a shout-out for the teachers because I see you and I see what you're doing. I'm so proud of you and you're so amazing. And if I talk too much about it, I get emotional. I'll go back to Dub's um, advice, which was stop the (laughs) cabinet. (laughs) I'm just being cheeky and silly there. I think that actually teachers what we need to do as professionals is we need to start putting some really um fair boundaries in place because we need to look after ourselves particularly at this time and particularly if we want to serve these students in our care so we need to start having some boundaries like i won't check my emails or um reply to them um, until maybe from eight until 8 a.m and then 9 a.m before the lessons begin Um, and then i'm going to check them again at the end of lessons, delivery at the end of the day, but I'm stopping at five or something like that. This is a boundary we need to establish and that we need to put in place. Some schools mandate that and other schools don't, so it makes it very difficult. And that's why then when parents are talking in the community, they're going, oh, my school, this teacher's great. I messaged her at quarter to midnight and she got back to me and other schools like, oh, my teacher, oh, you got to wait a week, you know, because there's no professional ruling on that so we as professionals need to step up and think well what's reasonable for us what works for me what matters for me as a teacher and for many teachers, they've got their own um, kids and family. So what matters is spending time with them at the end of an online working day. So therefore I'm not gonna do any more emails or anything after 6 p.m. or something like that. So I'd be starting to put some boundaries in place. And another thing that I'll say for teachers is you matter so much, Um, particularly at this time, you're supporting so many people. So make sure you take some time for some really good self care. And that self-care should be absolutely non-negotiable. And in lockdown, it might just have to be something quite simple as I have a bath on a Sunday night and I'm in that bathroom for two hours or whatever, you know, or I read a book on a Sunday morning or I, you know, just carve out some time, minimum two or three hours, where you are not working, you're not attending to anyone but yourself. That filling of the cup is so, so, so important. And for many other parents in Other professions as well, they should be doing that as well. And you've got to take that self-care as seriously as serious can be. I often say this, and I I don't mean to be disrespectful, but you wouldn't not show up for chemotherapy, would you? You would be like, this is serious, I have to show up. That's how serious you have to think about your self-care. Because otherwise, you will fall in a heap. I have fallen in a heap before, and I don't want anyone to go there. It's not a great place to be. So, really focus on your self care and set up those boundaries. Good luck, Rahika.
0: Yeah, and uh, it doesn't sound like lockdowns ending anytime soon. So, We should all take that on board. Look, I completely lost track of time. We've actually run out of time. I feel like I could speak to you until midnight. (laughs) But let's put in some of those those boundaries for you. We'll stop myself from asking more questions. Gabby, it's been such a pleasure to have you uh, explain all of those things. Tomorrow, remote learning is going to be a much more pleasant experience for everyone in my family for your words so thank you so much and uh, thank you everyone who put their questions in thank you to all those teachers out there who are doing an incredible job and I'm all those parents um, I know that Gabby would agree she sees you as well all those parents who are trying their hardest but uh, my takeaway is chill a bit yeah. Throw in a few fun things for all of you, and just uh, do the best you can.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Focus on what matters right now. And if it's a need for a bit of fun or relaxation or self-care, bump that to the priority.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. And um, I will put links to Gabby's website in the notes of this episode and you will be able to find all her books there. I mentioned them before. There's Teacher. Dear Parents, and her latest fiction novel is called Measuring Up. Very exciting, Gabby, that you've moved into the world of fiction. Um, and just to say that if you have young younger children and you need any specific advice on how to set, settle a baby, toilet training, tantrums, all the rest of those things, Babyology's online platform, The Parent School, is where you can connect with an expert one-on-one to help with your specific problem. We'll be back next week. Next week, we're talking about relationships in lockdown. So uh, how to be kind to your husband. (laughs) That's what I'll be asking. (laughs) And we'll see you all then. Thanks again, Gabby. Good night. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me. Siobhan Hunt I'd love to hear from you so if you'd like to get in touch email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au see you next time